Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. When Charles Dickens said it was the best of times, it was the worst of times in his book, A Tale of Two Cities, he could have been talking about raising a teenager. Am I right? Raising teens can be both tricky and tremendously exciting at the same time. For us moms, it's a time to hold them close while letting them go at the same time. If your teen is dealing with hormones he or she has not dealt with before. They might feel insecure or maybe because of social media, they're being pressured to be cool. They're beginning to wake up to the reality of the world around them and starting to figure out what they love to do and what they're good at. Hopefully, they're becoming more curious about God and their place in his plan. And I'm sure you know this, but the truth is God and the devil both have a plan for their lives. Now, our job as moms is to help them navigate the temptations and pitfalls that more freedom brings. The world we grew up in is not the same world our kids are growing up in. I mean, life has changed dramatically with the advent of cell phones and social media. Teenagers receive way too many messages about who they should be and what they should believe. Teens today are dealing with depression, anxiety, suicide, drug addiction, and loneliness like never before. Statistics tell us that 1 million teens will run away this year. 250,000 girls will give birth out of wedlock. Nearly half a million girls will have an abortion. And half a million will try to commit suicide with 10% succeeding. Between 70 and 80% will leave church when they turn 18. 12 million will use drugs on a regular basis. One in four girls and one in 10 boys will experience self-harm like cutting, burning, or pulling out their hair, eyelashes, or eyebrows, not to mention the increase in cyberbullying, addiction to pornography, and sexual abuse. So what's a Christ-following, Jesus-loving mom to do? How do we raise our teens, love them, listen to them, and disciple them through the turbulent teen years? Well, I hope you'll listen in as September, Jamie and I discuss this important topic. So the first thing I want to talk about is how important is it to have clear rules and boundaries, even expectations for your teens? So I want to back up just a little bit because I know we have some listeners who might be saying to themselves, well, I don't have teenagers, so this episode just doesn't apply to me. And let me tell you, mama, it does. Because you, with the little one, you are starting right now to implement and put in place some of those rules and boundaries that will propel you forward and do the foundational work so that when they are teenagers, you don't have to play the enforcer because you already have established those boundaries and have built up their character enough to know that they're not going to they're not going to push against you and push against the standards and the the decisions you have made for your home. So I actually think that the rules and boundaries are actually more important 
in those early years. It goes back to something I had mentioned in a previous episode, and we'll link to it in the show notes, about the funnel effect. And just to give you just the cliff notes of what that means is if you think about a funnel that you use in your kitchen, there's a big end and then there's a small, narrow end. And so often as parents, we're tempted to allow the big end to start us out in our parenting, meaning we have really loose boundaries. They're just little, so it doesn't really matter at this stage. And then as they grow older and they become teens, we tighten the reins and we pull that funnel in and tighter. But really all that does is it creates a rebellious spirit in your teens. When all of a sudden what used to be okay, because they were three, five, 10, is suddenly not okay. I think we're better served and it's actually kinder to our children in the long term of their life to flip the funnel on its head and have those really tight boundaries when they're little and establish those foundational things early on so that as they get older, um, you can begin to loosen the reins and, and you can begin to lessen that tight hold as they approach those teen years so that they can take some small intentional steps towards independence while they're still under your safety and protection. So moms of littles, I want you to just look to the end for a second. What are the boundaries that you hope those teens, those someday teens will have? And then back up to right now. Ask yourself this question, what rules and habits and character can I be building today to help mold the teens of tomorrow? For instance, if you don't want your 16-year-old son to have girls in his room, don't allow your six-year-old son to do it. If you don't think it's appropriate to allow your 17-year-old daughter to wear some skimpy bikini to the beach, then don't let your three-year-old have one. If you don't want a rebellious teenager, then you can't allow small acts of defiance and rebellion in your toddler. It might seem really inconsequential right now because they're cute and they're little, but you're really setting the stage and the habit for some day. And honestly, honestly, if you can't handle the struggles and tantrums of a five-year-old without caving, how do you ever suppose you're going to be able to handle the struggles and tantrums of a 15-year-old? especially when the consequences of their actions are so much more dire. Mm, good advice, Jamie. That's really good. And we need to think about that. And I hope the moms with littles will listen and take that to heart because that, that's good. We have to be thinking forward. 10 years is going to come really quickly. So great, great advice. Um, and I believe it is critical to have clear cut boundaries. Our children need to know what's acceptable in our family and what's not. I think it helps them feel safe and it lets them know there will be consequences for breaking the rules. So I think we just need to be consistent so our teens know where they stand and that they're aware of our expectations. So September, all teens are going to make some wrong decisions eventually. How do you know which choices deserve grace and which deserve discipline? Well, I like to let uh, choices that already have natural consequences in those areas, I let I just let those choices and consequences speak for themselves. They don't need us as parents saying, well, I told you so. Remember when I said, although sometimes that's necessary, but that's when grace really steps in in our home. You know, if my 
if we've already had the talks about, um, you know, spending too much time on screens and not getting homework done and then homework is due and it's late and there's an F, then I really don't have to say a lot because, you know, the consequence is evident and there's grace. And also when my teens come to me in the throes of frustration or failure and they want to know, you know, why me, why is this happening? Life is so stressful or why did this happen? Um, and they're coming to me, you know, they, they want to talk about, like, I don't understand why this keeps happening. And I, and I have these friends and they're making bad choices and I don't know how I got caught up in this or anything like that. First, I see this as another opportunity to teach and model grace because they are coming to me. That's an amazing decision that they've made on their part. I think sometimes as parents, we think, well, now we found them out or see what I said. I told you this would happen. And that's not grace. This is where myself as a mom, I've had to practice this very, very diligently. Um, you know, we have a lot of girls. So when my girls come to me and they're talking and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I knew this could happen. And I warned them this could happen. And we've had this talk many times. I don't always say that. And I don't say it because there's no need for saying that anymore. That's like kind of closing the window or the door on them coming back to me. Instead, I use it as a teaching point. Whereas, well, what do you think would have made a difference? Or back before this happened, were you thinking um, there's a way to approach our teenagers where you're kind of binding the trust instead of closing the door, making them feel stupid. You don't want them to feel that way, especially when they've come to you. So for me, that's, those are opportunities. Those are situations that deserve grace and not discipline. Um, those are natural consequences, but even the natural consequences need to be talked about. You know, discipline for a teenager isn't the same as discipline for a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. It looks very different. Um, sometimes we take things away or sometimes we um, put up more rules or try to confine them so that they feel the effects of discipline. And I think that by the time our teenagers are 15, 16, if we're putting them behind the wheel of a car or allowing them to get a job in the workforce or spend more time at friends' homes or do things that require more independence, those are the areas that are going to be used as a tool of discipline. Um, I'm, we're really diligent in our home for, for our teens owning their own choices before they get their driver's license. If they can't um, show self-control, if they can't choose good friends, all of those things, then putting them behind a wheel is not even an option. So I think it's gonna look different when they're 16. And then of course, as they get older. So. Um, you know, just to kind of grow with your kids. You want to never forget what it's like to be a teenager. Mm, I like that idea, September, of of understanding that all of those teenage rites of passage really aren't rights. They're privileges and can be used at times when necessary to leverage um, as a disciplinary tool, like you said, the driver's license or the job outside the home. Because, you know, scripture says, he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And if I can't trust you here at home, how in the world am I going to be able to trust you out in the world? Um, it's interesting that you should ask this, Kate, because not so long ago, and I want to be really sensitive because I want to protect my kids um, from embarrassment. 
but not so long ago, one of my sons uh, made a mistake. And it really was a mistake. It was not a intentional disobedience. It was not a intentional unkindness, but his mistake caused some natural fallout. And, and it really was a very, very dumb mistake. And I wanted him to feel the fallout so that that would be the natural consequence and he would learn from that mistake. But I also didn't want to shame him because I know that it was a mistake. So I had to live in the tension of that. I think that in the area of, you know, deciding when to give grace and when to give discipline, I think like September was saying, we, we need to allow them to feel the consequences. But then I'd also encourage you, mom, to go to bat for your kids, even when they make mistakes. Your reaction in those moments will and should look differently than at other times, but your love should not. So you should have a reaction. You should have a a consequence and they should receive the discipline that is necessary, but they should also feel your love to be able to separate their action from their personhood. So when they stumble, when they fall, when they mess up, move towards them, not away. Encourage them to, you know, to make restitution, to apologize, to take full ownership of the wrong before God and anybody who they have wronged and dole out appropriate consequences when necessary, but then hug them and tell them that you still love them and that you are for them. Stand with them when they have to face that fallout. Don't just try to diminish it or diminish the discomfort of it. Um, In the end, we have to recognize that whatever collateral damage they must suffer because of their right now choices will be far less painful than the penance they might have to pay someday if they don't learn under the weight of these childhood decisions. But when they must stand and face that firing squad of maybe retribution, stand with them. Because I think how you react to the childish immaturity and even the stupid mistakes, no matter how they make you feel, um, maybe they make you mad or they're embarrassing, or maybe they even cause you to question your own parenting decisions, how you react could very well set the course of your relationship with your kids for years to come. So I would say, yes, hate the sin, hate the stupid mistakes, but love the sinner. And, and remember that your kids don't come fully formed. These are the training years. So you are going to have to do training. They are going to mess up. But consider this your moment, your chance to love in all the hard places. And like Hebrews 4.16 says, there will be enough grace to help in this time of need, even for your kids, <laughs> even in this. Thank you, Lord. You know, we can lead our children to Jesus, but we can't make them disciples. And while we all want our children to make good, godly choices as they grow, let's remember God can redeem anything, even our teens' bad choices. He'll use their mistakes, mishaps, and failures to lead them back to Him. So I think when we can offer forgiveness and grace, we should do it wherever possible. I mean, they're figuring life out, so we have to expect them to make mistakes and bad decisions and do stupid, mindless things. I mean, they're teenagers. But even so, let's be interested in what interests them, even if you don't get it. Make the effort. Learn enough so you can talk about it with them. 
let them see that what's important to them is important to you. And you know, they'll never tell you, but they really do want your help and advice. So don't be afraid to lovingly offer it. And I'm a big believer in speaking life and destiny over your teens. I, I just think about my life and I look back to those years and think, gosh, if somebody had just said, there's a plan for your life, God has something for you, you are important in his kingdom, you know, things like that, that I was never told. And I made all the stupid mistakes that we're talking about, the really bad ones. So I think that whenever we can do that and speak life, speak destiny, show them that you believe wholeheartedly in their dreams and in God's amazing plan for them. And as they begin to uncover their gifts, encourage them as they explore and just help them grow in all those things. But in the meantime, like the lady said, we've got to know when to offer discipline and when to offer grace. So what kind of boundaries have you set for your teens? I mean, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear some practical examples. Well, it's hard to say that all of our examples or boundaries are going to apply to everyone's home. You know, everyone has a different home culture and demographic, but for us, here are some practical um, things that we've done. And honestly, I can say that um, a lot of times in parenting, it takes us quite a few years to figure out what works and what doesn't, what works with certain kids and what doesn't. So, but some basic boundaries that we've set are um, for social media. We have an age that our kids um, can engage on social media and that age for our home is 16. And even if they do want to be on social media, we have all their passwords. That's a boundary we have in that area. We've had teenagers come through our home um, that don't have a care in the world to be on social media. And I absolutely love that. Um, but there are other teenagers that will be very extroverted and want that. And so instead of saying no, uh, we just have boundaries. And so sometimes we have to remember that. Sometimes we think that saying no is the answer and said that's just one more cage or prison that they're going to want to break out of. And then we have no um, influence and no word on it. So another thing is uh, dating. We have some boundaries that we've talked about with dating. I hope we can do a podcast on this in the future because it is it is something in this culture that I think parents don't know quite what to do about. Um, a lot of our, our boundaries in dating have to um, do with my husband and I being involved and being, I like to say, the intercessor. And we're very actively involved in conversations and not saying the hard things and boundaries as far as where they go, who they go with, what time is spent alone. Um, and, it, and it can kind of sound old fashioned, I'm sure, but um, I think our kids are pretty contemporary. And in the end, every single one of our kids have said, we are so grateful that you didn't stop setting up these boundaries and saying involved in our relationships and giving us the chance to make bad decisions, but following through with us. Um, so dating is another area. Screens, um, we've talked about that. We'll have podcast episodes on that where we'll talk about that a little bit more. Church is a boundary, believe it or not. We might not think of that right away, but we have the rule and I like to use that loosely. It's not like a 10 commandment in our home, but if you live in our home, um, you attend church and um, if it's not church with us, then let us come to church with you and see what your church is like. And then we can have a conversation about it. And one of my daughters um, 
who likes to push the boundaries. When she was 17, had her license, she said, well, I'm going to do this denomination project. And I said, oh, what is that? And she said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, since you said, you know, we're going to church and I agree, I want to know more of what's out there. So she decided she wanted to go around and visit all the churches and all the different denominations and kind of write a paper on it and research. And then she said, and then I want to decide where I will attend church when this denominational project is over. And we said, okay, but the boundaries are, um, this is great. We're for it. We want you to know what you believe. Um, but the boundary is that when you come home, we discuss what you've learned, what you think and why or why you would not go back there. And then we kind of have a say as to whether we think, you know, it's good or not good. And then you can make the decision in the end. Two years later, our daughter attends our church and um, goes to church with us. And she has a strong faith. She goes to Bible studies. And, but, you know, sometimes parenting our teens, we make boundaries and rules out of fear. And that's why I brought up the church boundary, because sometimes raising teens, we say, as long as you live in this home, you will go to church with us. And I have learned that this is kind of a boundary that we've set, parents set it as a rule, um, instead of giving our kids to really know and understand who God is to them in their life. And it's, it's just not an area talked about very often. Um, we have boundaries for responsibility and ownership. Our kids um, all have areas of the home they're responsible for. We have boundaries as to where they go with their friends, what kind of friends that they'll have. Um, we like to say, are your friends assets or are they liabilities? And so that's a boundary. Our kids don't know that's a boundary, but it's a boundary. And sometimes when you're raising teenagers, you don't tell them, well, we have these rules about friends. We just have conversations and then they learn, wow, you know, this is what a good friend is. This is not what a good friend is. Um, this is why I tend to not like to use that word rules as much because it really turns our kids away. It's really good for some things in life, biblical principles, biblical rules to follow. But when it comes to our own rules, I have learned as a parent, I can be wrong. You know, I've been parenting 28 years and I've done some things that were just plain old silly, plain, plain old stupid, some really silly rules. And so I like to say we're, we're training our kids how to make good decisions about their own boundaries without saying, well, remember the rule or don't forget the rule because then all they grow up with is a bunch of rules. And as soon as they move out of your home, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to take all those rules. They're going to say, well, those were my parents' rules. And so I guess what I'm encouraging you in all these areas of boundaries are to remember to parent your teens with conversation, communication, and like Jamie said, trajectory to, you know, to raise them to know why they believe what they believe and why your family has this culture of boundaries so that they own them, they understand them. What I heard you saying, September, was relationship over rules. And it's not that rules get thrown out. It's just that you remember why you have the rule in the first place to establish that relationship with you, but more importantly with the Lord and that they would have this deep abiding commitment and love for him. And that really is what should propel us as we are setting those boundaries. You know, I don't really have anything much to add to that list, September, because I would 
I would say those are all very similar to what we have at home. You know, September had mentioned the the screen limitations, and we do have an episode um, specifically dedicated to that. If you want to learn more, you can go to momtomompodcast.com forward slash 19 to hear our thoughts about setting some boundaries for digital devices in your home. Um, I guess I just want to say before we move on, I, I had this conversation with a couple of my teens in preparation for this discussion. And I asked them, what are some boundaries and some rules that we have put in place for you? Because honestly, I was racking my brain. Like, what are the, what are the rules that we have explicitly put in place for our teens? And I was coming up dry other than just you know, maybe one or two things. And they, they looked at me and they kind of said the same thing. Mom, I don't really know. And I looked at that as a really great thing because what that told me was, we built a framework, a foundation. We laid it early in those early years. And it has just become part and parcel of the culture of our home. So it doesn't have to be about a rule anymore. They've established the character. And until they give us maybe a reason to make a rule or a boundary, we don't need one. So like my kids don't have bedtimes because they just can self-assess, hey, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed knowing full well I have to be up at a certain time to get my things done. Or, you know, you won't find them out gallivanting around at all hours of the night with who knows who, because they just know that's not part of the culture of our home. And I think that is really key to remember. And as September was, was emphasizing, it's about relationship. And that really does start early, early, early on when they're really little and you're establishing that framework. Good advice. Yeah, I love that, that it's, it's about relationship. That is exactly right. You know, when my daughter was young and living under my roof, she knew there was nothing she could hide. I mean, I had access to everything she did, read, saw, who she communicated with, et cetera, all that stuff. Now, again, this was back in the early 2000s before social media was as ubiquitous as it is today. Back then, there was no Instagram or TikTok. Facebook was only available to college students, and nobody had iPhones yet. So I didn't have the same experiences or issues to deal with that Jamie and September have. But if I had, I'm thinking I probably wouldn't have allowed any social media either until she was at least 16. But I understand how hard it can be to figure out all of this, and it is going to be different for every child and for every family. But these are some really good guidelines the ladies just gave us. For our last little thought here, um, the Bible clearly tells us in Ephesians 4, 6, it says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So how can we apply this scripture as we raise teens? What does provoking your children to wrath even mean to you? It took me a long time to figure out what this means. And I really did not, my husband and I really didn't understand what this meant. Um, as parents until we saw it happen. And so when you see something face-to-face, sometimes biblical, sometimes scripture really is clear, like, oh, this is what this means. And Ephesians 4, 6, to me, to us in our home, has looked like um, leaving our children to their own devices or permissions or kind of raising themselves without direction, no accountability, 
also frustrating them, maybe having rules that don't have a purpose. Um, so we create these rules with no real good purpose just to have a rule and it frustrates them. It gives them no room to grow and learn to understand. It's just a rule because it's a rule because the neighbor has the rule or someone told um, their parents to make this boundary for them and it leaves them frustrated. And we have um, learned that our kids, our teens want us to be involved as much as a teenager says, you know, hurtful words or ridiculous actions. Um, they really do want us to be involved. And when we let them be their own person without the involvement, um, it, it causes great frustration and the wrong direction. And so as we apply this to raising teenagers, I, I would just say this, you know, listen to your teens. Don't listen to the words that they may be saying that are upsetting. Okay. I'm saying, listen, go a little deeper, listen to their body language. Even when they're ignoring you, they really want you to be part of their world. Um, sometimes you have to go knock on their door and say, Hey, what's bothering you? And they may shut the door, say nothing, nothing. Um, you know, we have one particular teenager in this home that's been raised in this home. And the joke is now because they're older that it takes like a sledgehammer, like this chipping device, use very like a chisel, tink, 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 right to get to their heart over and over. What's wrong? Do you want to talk about it? No, I'm okay. And then we're there. We're finally there, but it took relentless, soft pursuits to get there. And I think that ignoring them and letting them make up, make up their own path is just frustrating to them. They don't know what to do. So um, this, this is a thing that I have to live out in our home every day. And I, sometimes I fail miserably. Sometimes I have the endurance and the strength to realize, you know, that this is worth it. And it is, it's so worth it, but it definitely takes, um, a lot of intentional time and grace. Relentless, soft pursuits. I think that that should be our war cry as mm -hmm. mothers of teens, because that's, yeah, that's what it is day in and day out. Um, I guess I would just say uh, two things. One, if we are training our kids in righteousness and introducing them to scripture and, and encouraging them to become very familiar with scripture, they're going to learn discernment. And that discernment will actually be of more use to them than any rule than we could, that we could put in place. So there will be a time, many times, when you will not be available and when your rule will get forgotten, but God's word won't return void. And so if we are entrenching them in scripture and giving them this biblical literacy, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to be their guide so that we don't have to be the enforcer, like September was saying, or even just the nag as a mom. I think that that wrath um, can happen, I think specifically of in the area of mothers with sons, because I have four sons. I think it's really easy for me to mother hen my boys, and that's not how they're designed. God did not design them to want to be mother hen. It's not that I'm not the the leader. It's not that I'm not in charge or, or given um, biblical leadership over them, 
but it's that I need to allow them to have opportunities to be strong and courageous and to make decisions apart from me and to maybe sometimes stumble and fall and have to get back up again and suffer the consequences of those decisions. But I think especially in the area of my sons, I, I find myself, I find that if I mother hin them, I provoke them to wrath. I also think just across the board, no matter the gender, my own personal hypocrisy is what provokes them to wrath the most. So what I mean by that is when I am expecting in them what is not evident in my own life, when I demand that they keep their word and maybe I don't keep mine, or when I expect them to apologize for the part they've played in something, but don't apologize for my part, I'm provoking them to wrath. Maybe when I overreact to their overreactions, hypocrisy can really make even the best of us angry, myself included, but all the more so for teens whose brains and and really their ability to reason and see different sides to the thing haven't been fully formed yet. So when when my kids are provoked to wrath, I can usually trace it back to my own hypocrisy. You know, that's the perfect lead into one last thing I wanted to ask that how are your teens seeing you living out the gospel? That, that was great, Jamie, because it's true. They see us, they, they see everything and they're watching very closely. So how do you, how would you, how would they see you live out the gospel? You know, I've told my kids from the beginning, I am, I am doing the best I can with what God has given me. And you're going to see me stumble and you're going to see me fall and make mistakes. So the first thing I would say in our home is it takes a lot of humility to seek your children's forgiveness and also to forgive them in times where they've hurt you as a person. You know, one of the biggest lessons I've learned as a mom is that the things my kids say and do are not always a personal affront to me. We feel it so heavily as moms because we make dinner and we're sacrificing and we're doing laundry and all those things we do. And we've given our lives to raise these kids and they may seem ungrateful or they may seem irresponsible or they may say things that come across, we're tender, we're tired. Um, but one of the biggest gifts I could give to myself and to my kids is to realize that they're still growing in Christ. And sometimes I need to forgive them to show them how Christ modeled that for us. Like they need to know that I forgive them. I need to, I need to show them, I need to tell them. And, um, I've asked my children to forgive me and that opens up this wide open door for your kids to see what the gospel truly is lived out. There, there've been many times, even as like the yelling mom, um, where I used to have to go back to my kids and say, please forgive me. That was not the right attitude. I spoke harshly. That was wrong of mommy. Um, so forgiveness, humility, sacrifice, our kids are seeing us sacrifice. And, and here's the biggest thing is they see us live out the gospel by our love for them. Um, Jesus, his story is the longest, most enduring story that will ever exist. And our love should be the same for our kids. We will love them no matter what. 
And I feel, feel like that's living out the gospel, um, showing them this enduring love um, for them, no matter what. Right. I think it's, it's really easy to want to portray this perfect persona in front of our kids because we want to model right living to them and good choices and even holiness and what that looks like as we're being sanctified before the Lord. But in trying to appear perfect and never actually admitting when we stumble and when we fall and when we've made mistakes, we're actually setting ourselves up as their savior and we're pointing them in the wrong direction. But in admitting our faults and our failures, we're, we're saying out loud, I'm in need of Jesus too. And, and we're showing them just what Jesus can do in our own lives by extending us the forgiveness that we need when we offer the apology that is necessary. I couldn't have said it better, September. I think you're exactly right. When we, when we extend forgiveness and extend apologies when necessary, because it goes back to that whole hypocrisy thing. When we're expecting more from them than we're willing to dole out ourselves. I think my, I hope my kids also see me love people, um, even when they're kind of unlovely, uh, living with an open door and an open hand to others. And I hope that they're seeing in me, um, and I'm obviously a, quite a work in progress at this, but I hope that they see me submit my will um, and that I'm not jockeying for position or elevating my wants and my rights and myself over what God is calling me to. I've always said and believe that what you model, they will follow. And if we model godly characteristics like humility, integrity, and honesty, that's what they're going to follow. If, but if they hear you gossip about your neighbor or boss, they'll believe gossiping is okay. If they know you fudge a little on your taxes, they'll believe that cheating is okay. We must endeavor to live out the gospel honestly in front of our kids. Do the hard thing. Take the narrow road, but be steadfastly true to Jesus Christ. In fact, be the Christian you'd like to see your children become. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I might add, especially to our teens, <laughs> you know, to finish up, it's a scary world out there and the enemy wants to see our teens trapped in sin and rebellion, but that's not the end of the story. We serve a big God. And if we're willing to listen to him and to our teens, he will guide us and teach us how to navigate the turbulent waters of the teen years. And more than anything, the best way to make it through the teen years is to listen without judging, model to your teens what authentically following God looks like not being afraid to ask for help, and most importantly, praying without ceasing. Having teens can be trying for sure, but it can also be a tremendously exciting time as they begin to discover the world and their place in it. As moms, we have the divine privilege of raising these incredible humans who are destined to change the world. Don't fear the teen years, mama, but trust God has an amazing plan for your teen. And as you move through the years, he'll show you what it is and how you can best guide your precious teenager. My best advice, encourage your teen regularly, call out their gifts, remind them who they are in Christ and that he adores them and that he has an amazing plan for them. 
We are so glad you joined us today, and we'd love if you'd leave us a quick rating or review on iTunes. You know, iTunes bases its search results on positive ratings, so in just taking a moment to do that, you're going to be helping to get the podcast in front of moms looking for encouragement. And also, feel free to, to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating. You know, if you go to mom to mom podcast website, you can download our 30 days to pray for my child prayer cards for free, which is a great resource for every mom. We're also on Instagram and we'd be honored if you followed us there. So thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.